1: This episode of See Here is dedicated to the memory of Jim Brown. May he long rest in peace.
0: a see here podcast listen to us and no one gets hurt we discuss music related movies thanks very much to the pantheon network of podcasts for allowing us to play in their sandbox my name is morris and i'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts over in cape cod miss carrie Fristo. Hello And over in Brantford, Ontario Mr. Tim Merrill Perfect This film is the start of a cappella-based percussion And that's quite relevant Because we're here to discuss The 2010 Swedish film Sound of Noise We'll play the trailer And we'll be back in a moment To talk about this percussionistic extravaganza You're listening to See Here Episode 105
2: Det larm när från stan.
3: Det ska finnas en metronom här inne. Hitta den. Så ska ni veta att vissa
0: saker är olag. Men... kom att bli ett fantastiskt verk. Back from break, the film this time around is Sound of Noise, 2010. The directors were Ola Simonson and Johannes Stjar Nilsson. No relation to Harry, I'm sure. They were also the writers, as was a fellow called Jim Bermant. The film stars Brent Braskett, I hope I'm getting that right, as Amadeus Wannabring, Sana Person as Sana, Magnus Borson as Magnus, and a bunch of other drummers. We'll speak about this. The drummers in this film are all real. No one is faking this. No weird camera angles. The IMDb description of this film... A tone-deaf cop works to track down a group of guerrilla percussionists whose anarchic public performances are terrorizing the city. Sounds bizarre? It sort of is. I want to go around the virtual table and see what you people thought of it. Kerry, I know that this is your first time. What did you think of Sound of Noise?
3: I loved it. It really drew me in. I didn't know what to expect. I went in completely cold, and I'm glad I did. I was really glued to the set while I was watching it because... Things kept happening that he didn't expect to happen, which doesn't necessarily happen a lot in films that, because I've seen so many. But this was a really uh, a happy surprise.
1: This is the first time i seen this myself. And as I sat back and I started to see some of the things that occurred, this huge grin just started erupting on my face. Because so much of it reminded me of so much that has actually happened in the past, I believe A lot of this has really happened. Now, what I'm about to tell you is there is a band from Japan. Of course, it had to be from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> there is a band called The Boredoms. And The Boredoms are led by one young, well, he's not young now, but a guy named Yamasuka Ai. And Yamasukai in the 80s, he had a noise band, and they were called Hanatarash. And Hanatarash the translation means snot nose. And it was him and a guy named Tabata, the two of them. And Tabata would go on to go form a band called Zenigiva and then the Acid Mother's Temple. But anyway, Hannah Tarash, they would have these concerts where they would go to factories full of metal and just go around and just destroy everything and just smash light bulbs like Freon tubes, record it, just destroy bed springs, coil mattress springs. and there's a famous concert of out of i forget the name of the club where outside there was a construction site and they actually had a bulldozer with the keys in it and i got into the bulldozer and put it through the wall of this club And it got to the point where they called the cops and they were going to put him in an insane asylum because they just thought he was an absolute nutter and just beyond. Now, shoot ahead. His future incarnation, band The Boredoms, in 2007, they did a thing called 77 Boa. I think it was underneath the Brooklyn Bridge where they actually took 77 drummers and they put them in a spiral. And he conducted all of it from the center of the spiral, holding this giant kind of a a totem pole, like a divining rod with all these lap steels connected on it. And he was guiding all the drummers in the circles with the tones that he was getting off the pool and so it was just an incredible hypnotic experience so you cannot I'm not saying that the filmmaker of this film the sound of noise ripped off the idea from the boredoms, but you can't tell me he didn't know about the boredoms because a lot of the conceptual stuff in this film has actually been done. And that's why when I watched this, I know I wasn't gonna be the old man out of the port. Oh shit, they're just doing this, oh, they're just doing that. I know where this has come. No, I was actually impressed. I thought like this is really clever and this is really neat, how a way of kind of playfully introducing outside listeners to kind of noise music or different ways of looking at sound mm. because you know when people look at the, the genre of noise people with feedback loops and stock housing and all of these different kind of things in the japanese noise scene people are just like this just sounds like some guy putting on a grinder and just walking away but there's more to it than that and that's what this film really shows is it's all about shifting perspectives shifting tides.
0: And that's what I loved about it. Okay, so it's interesting. I didn't know about the boredoms and that percussionist, but one thing that I did read up about was that the group in this film, who actually called themselves Six Drummers, they existed as a concept well before this film was made. And in fact, I sent you guys a link to a short film that they made nine years before this one. So this one was out in 2010 and there was a film that they made. It's on YouTube. YouTube called music for six drummers and an apartment and i recommend people out there follow that up as well but when you look at their website they were hireable for your function whatever it might be in that way this film is about an existing group they've come up with a fictitious story about an existing group and their ideology so really you could pair this with the beatles film help because that's fictitional- okay. a fictionalized film about an existing band but some of the things that they'd done on their website, it says they, some of their art installations, if you want to call it that, music for one Volvo and six drummers, music for three blenders and six drummers, music for one public bath and six drummers. The website says that their raison d'etre is to explore sounds of ordinary objects for potential music. Now, the question I wanted to ask you, Tim, is the group that you were talking about and the fellow who led them... You're saying it like it's, it's uh, noise music, but is what they were doing with the order and precision of percussion as these six drummers were doing in this film? Because everything that they were doing was part of a rhythmic order as has been right. mm-hmm. composed in, right. in conventional music. <laughs>
1: This was clockwork, like the film, what what was in the film was clockwork, and that's why it's so kind of, you know, very iconic in the beginning when they're in just uh, the girl and the drummer, the one guy in the back of the van with the metronome, how right as that begins, that's the whole film. Whereas with Hannah Trash, they were just dissonant. Like, just, no, it was it was just
0: chaos. Like, it was just, you know, there was no rhythm to it at all. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, feedback. So where I see something in common with something else that we've seen, well, actually, I don't think that you were around for this episode, Tim, but I know that Bernie and myself and Mike White, we had Skiz Cizic on the show last year, and Skiz had gone and made an incredible film called Sound Mechanic about a fellow called Neil Feather. Right. And he basically made all these instruments himself that we're not talking like conventional. He's not like he's a luthier or anything. He's just making instruments out of found objects and playing, I don't know whether you'd call it random stuff, but it's certainly not... Music as we conventionally understand it probably has more in common with noise music, as you've described the Japanese ensemble, than right. with what the six drummers do in this film. It's not based on conventional Western music or microtonal music or anything like that.
1: I saw what they did in this film was closer to stuff like I don't know how familiar you guys are with Krautrock.
0: I know Can, but that's about it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like you know, there was bands like Noi and Can and Amundahl and and even early Kraftwerk mm-hmm. when Craft work was not what they became, but they were more rock oriented or more they, they were learning learning to get their legs or learning to eventually become what they became, if that makes sense. But I think that the German Krautrock was all about finding rhythms and things and, and just being able to I mean the majority of what they used was all electronics, you know, keyboards, you know, or but then again, there were the drummers, you know, like Dave Suzuki from Cannes is one of the most, you know, acclaimed drummers ever. I mean, but I mean that uh, Dave Suzuki, I mean, who uh, am I thinking of? Jackie. As um, Sorry, um, Debo is a singer. But Jackie Unright, they were known for this, their incredible rhythms. This whole thing about noise, there's one thing I don't like. In regards to all of this film, is the one thing is how they use the term noise, the sound of noise. I
0: really didn't see any noise in any of it. Once again, it comes to perception because what these drummers are doing, and we will describe a little bit more about what the story is actually about for the listeners who haven't seen this yet, but everything is about perception. And remember very early on in the film, after the first crime, the two leaders of the group, they're walking away. They're walking down the street and they're going part, like in the, in the street in this town in Sweden. You see all these speakers in the street and it's playing music. That's what is society may consider acceptable. It's music that we can just ignore. Their definition of music is Haydn's surprise symphony, which plays a part later on in the film. There's right. music coming out of speakers in the street that we just walk past and hear every day and ignore and really the whole idea of the ubiquity of music you go to the gym you're doing an exercise class you hear music walk through the supermarket you hear music so it's not about when it causes the sound of noise it's not necessarily about as an active listener you describe as noise because noise is something that we don't like but it's about what society deems as noise and this film to me if nothing else is having a go at what the Common perception the differentiation between what is music and what is noise so i don't think it's or maybe it's a celebration of it
1: but you know what i also felt too from this film i didn't even think it was about noise i mean music at all i think also it's about acceptance because i think what it is is when i saw them and this is gonna might might sound weird but when I saw them look up at the speaker in the beginning, when they hear this, the music come out of the speaker, immediately the first thing that came into my deranged mind was I thought these people are almost like nudists. Everybody else is all buttoned up and they're just like they are who they are, you know, warts and all and how they're looking up the speaker. And they're just kind of like fucking Puritans, you know, <laughs> they just cut, <laughs> they just, they just cut, cut the speaker.
3: Vi måste vidare, Mange. Vi måste tänka större.
1: it's almost like they're nudists like and what I mean by that is they put everything on you know they don't hide anything everything's outside you know everything's on the surface whereas everybody else in the film they're trying to basically keep up appearances the brother who's the uh, the conductor and all that I mean everybody's trying to keep appearances you know everybody's putting on a facade where I think these people are just like I said they're like nudists they're just letting it all hang out they're just
0: who they are so I want to ask either of you have you seen or at least know about the Percussion ensemble, Stomp. Sure. Do you remember that? Yeah. Heard of them. In a way, I sort of considered this to be like a more ideological version of Stomp, but you know, Stomp is purely about choreography and entertainment whereas the characters in this it's more about we're going to play our music and we don't care whether we have an audience or not but we're going to play this piece for an audience of one because he's being used as a piece of percussion. Before we come to the story and this might sort of answer something of what you were talking about your objection to the whole notion of noise Tim. I found this document online that serves conceptually as the ideology behind the six drummers and I think I found somewhere that they said that the, either the writers or the group themselves said that this document written in 1913 was the whole idea behind the film so the document is called The Art of Noise and was written by a painter called Luigi Rossolo, who was describing what they then called futurist music and in it he said that people had become bored with the music of composers like Beethoven with all its rules imposed on harmony and dissonance and people had come to accept over the centuries that music should be dictated by those rules developed through the rules of mathematics, rules in relation to tones and intervals and that sort of thing. So I just want to quote from this document. It said, Musical art looked for the soft and limpid purity of soul. Then it amalgamated different sounds intent upon caressing the ear with suave harmonies. Nowadays, musical art aims at the shrillest, strangest, and most dissonant amalgams of sound Uh, thus we are approaching noise sound this revolution of music is paralleled by the increasing proliferation of machinery and then he describes the limitations of conventional orchestral instrumentation we must break at all cost from this restrictive circle of pure sounds and conquer the infinite variety of noise sounds so in fact he's basically taking back the word noise as it's not a negative it's a positive I have no idea how big the idea of futurism was, but it's interesting to see that this group—they made it. That's what their thing is. And for those out there uh, who, once again, who haven't seen the film, this group—it's not about them playing drums in public. They compose these pieces using found objects and sometimes even the physical body. should probably clarify a little bit more about the story. The other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is this film plays out like a heist film. So if you can imagine, I don't know, Rafifi or something like that, but instead of robbing a diamond, they're they're like a flash mob coming out into public and playing percussion, doing concerts in places that holy shrines like the bank or the hospital. It's a heist film, but instead of robbing a bank or a jewellery warehouse, uh, the percussionists go into public to play tightly fashioned rhythmic pieces on any number of objects. Uh, We find out that mid-film that two of the leaders of the six drummers, percussion ensemble, were evicted from the conservatory for playing an unconventional piece that included flooding a concert hall. (laughs) The traditional academics, who I'd say are the villains of the film. We understand the policeman's side and we understand the percussionist's side. So it's really the rest of society that are the villains of this film. The traditional academics are not up for anything that doesn't involve a a composer who's not been dead for 150 years. So naturally, the percussionists are going to get revenge for being kicked out of the conservatory. One of them composes this suite, if you want to call it, in four parts. The first one's called Dr doctor give me gas in my ass and that's the only time i'm going to pronounce that word in the american pronunciation money for you honey fuck the music kill kill which sounds like a russ Meyer film and electric love it involves them breaking into institutions considered sacred cows and playing a movement of the work and then running off into the night so just to give the listeners a bit of a description in the hospital scene they get dressed as orderlies they kidnap a wealthy patient who's full of himself Take him to an operating theatre and start playing a variety of polyrhythms on instruments inverted commas such as the patient's stomach, the ventilator, the oxygen tanks, the elevating table, and the machine that goes ping.
3: <laughs> I was waiting for that.
0: And I really, I kept on thinking, I wonder whether the Python team have seen this. (laughs) The police inspector who's looking into this at the aftermath of the performances he has his backstory which is that he grew up in a highly accomplished musical family so his brother who we get introduced to is a conductor and a composer and all the people around him are all lovers of music basically he grows up hating music because he's tone deaf and all the people around him like his mother tries to introduce and says oh uh uh, here's Amadeus he's a police officer have you uh, arrested anyone for being out of key or out of time music is their world and that's why you can understand he grows up hating these people that's the basic story what did you think about his predicament I mean I mean we're all music lovers but we got the ubiquity of music in his world and he's gone and rejected everything about this did you sort of come through this thinking fuck if I was in his shoes I'd end up hating music too I almost hated music as a result of these people
3: Well, he doesn't hate his family. He tolerates them. I think there's a certain sadness that he completely is outside of their, as you said, music is their world and all their friends are either musicians or aficionados or they write about music or they teach music. It is their entire world. And he's just not a part of it. It's like they're all speaking a different language. He was unable to learn it, so he, he can't communicate with them. But I, I feel like he does want something because like he got the present for his brother. And he was really upset that it was really wrong, that it was a a dumb gift, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, he seemed really upset, like, I'll take it back. Let me, oh, geez, I didn't know it was that. You're making it a very big thing, a very, you know, 10,000-foot view thing where you're saying, you know, society and this and that. The thing is that what I like to listen to is not the same as what you like to listen to necessarily. The person that lives next door to me likes a lot of country music. Hmm, I like some country music. I can listen to some, but honestly... Honestly, not a huge fan. I used to, when my daughter was a teenager, walk into certain shops that teenage girls would like to go into and I would walk in and I would walk out <laughs> <laughs> because of the music, because it really gets to me. Like right. if the music is, if I'm in a restaurant or, you know, and I'm meeting someone for a drink or something and they're playing horrible music, it changes my mood. It's the same way with this guy. This guy, it's not what type of music, it's any music. Okay, right. that's that's his thing. It hits him like an ice pick to the brain, and he just can't take it. He can't stand it. And it could be a combination of bad associations with childhood where they, you know, trying to get him to learn how to play, and he just doesn't want right. to, he just can't. And everyone else is really good at it. And perhaps the comparisons were getting to him and jealousy and all that kind of stuff. But also think about how much music he must have had going on in his home all the time. You know, if people were together, they were probably performing or rehearsing or something. If people were apart. You know, in one room, they'd be, you know, listening to Beethoven, in another room, they'd be listening to Hayden, in another room, they'd be listening to Berlioz, you know, so he couldn't escape the cacophony of it. And so he grew to really enjoy silence. And so for him, if he walks in and there's music playing at all, he's like, oh, I got to get out of here. He just doesn't like it. So that that was my thought on it. I, I thought it was really interesting how they handled that. But to talk about another part that Tim mentioned, when the couple, they're walking down a street and there's a speaker spouting music yeah. and they cut the wire to make the music turn off. And the nudist comment, I, th- I think that's really good. That's that's really good. But also. That scene, I started to think, like, what year are we in? This is a really weird world they're in. Right. Because it's not like it's in the future. Because, I mean, I saw the van. The van is clearly of... Well, the past really was an old kind of van. The clothes were not of a different, you know, but it was almost like how Spike Jones created this world in in that movie, Her, Mm. that doesn't really exist anywhere and is this kind of funky, weird place. But then when they were walking down and there was a speaker there, I was like, is this supposed to be like some kind of like post apocalyptic craziness or something like, you know,
0: (laughs) is that opening scene out of Mad Max (laughs) being chased by the cop for playing drums in a van while speeding down the highway or something?
3: (laughs) yeah, That was really funny.
1: One of the things that kind of makes me laugh after I had the nudist comment was, you know, where they're going to their factory where they have their lab, so to speak, and they're walking down the hall. And they see that big fat guy rolling on the floor, nude, rolling in green paint. And he's just doing his thing. He's just doing his thing. He's just creating art. But I was going to say, I've got a number of friends from different Scandinavian countries. And I've got friends from Sweden. And a lot of them will tell you. That a lot of these countries are very, and I'm not saying that everybody toes the line and everybody thinks the same and does the same and all, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of following the herd in Swedish culture and in Finnish culture and a lot of these where it's almost like, like in Japan. God help you if you color outside of the box. It's this thing about social mores and about keeping your position, right? And I really think, like what you said, Carrie, about how it's not just a, a bigger thing. But I really think it is. I think a lot of this film is about what I like to call bumwifery, you know. It's a lot of these people that put on airs or people that are just buried beneath layers of facade. And I think that it's all part of playing your part in the culture, And breaking the law, which these people are doing, actually, they are breaking the law, doing what they're doing, but they're also metaphorically breaking the social law. Of being who they want to be. They're breaking the laws of saying, fuck you and fuck your music and fuck your niceties. We want to play it the way we want to play it. We want to be who we are. We you know, It's like you almost see these people when they're hearing that music walking down the street or you're hearing, looking around, they're seeing all these different things going on, like when he's sitting in the office in the beginning and the guy's got the radio turned up. It's almost like I could hear James Dean saying, you're tearing me apart! You know? <laughs> like It's just because they couldn't be who they are. Who they are is expressed through the medium of the music of what they do. But it's the idea of, of, of just breaking the chains, you know, and being the bird that gets to fly out of the cage. That's what it's all about.
0: Do you see this film maybe would be a good double feature with something like Easy Rider in that regard, if that's the theme that you're looking at?
1: Yeah. Well, we were talking, you know, before before the show, we are talking about Terry Gilliam. And Brazil would be a good one, I think, mm. to be a double. This would be very interesting. Of the idea of people just going against the system and just being forced to reinforce, toe the line, toe the line, toe the line. You know.
3: You know what I'm thinking about as a as a double feature with this is mm. uh, Fahrenheit 451. Oh yeah.
1: With Oscar Werner, that, Yeah, that's another good one too. I think Finnish time. You're a whole hour for early. How hard can it be? I'm still 9.
0: These are both great ways of considering the overall themes of the film, either a general rebellion against what the wider society accepts or maybe just scoping in with very specific a rebellion against how society passively accepts music into its life and if there'd been a law that said the only music that you shall listen to will be what you listen to actively and what you want to accept into your life so we'd never have to have music in a dentist's office we'd never have to listen to crap music through whatever tv theme shows or or, or advertorials or any of that sort of stuff this is about our music is of pure stuff not what is played in music not the 200 year old 300 year old dead haydn surprise symphony being composed there's a whole audience saying this is what's proper we've come here we've paid our music and they're saying no we're going to play out in the street with these bulldozers and we're going to do it percussively and it's still obeying the rules of conventionally composed percussion but we're not playing a drum kit we're not playing timpanis we're going to play with oxygen hoses we're going to to play with with power lines, we're going to bang on all sorts of things. And the other thing that we sort of haven't spoken a little bit about yet is despite the unconventional nature of this, would you also say that this is a great crime film? I mean, we mentioned that you can compare this to a heist, but would you describe this as a crime film?
1: Yeah, actually, because when we were talking about double bills, I immediately thought of, do you remember that film? And I I think I think it came out of Australia about the guy who built the mechanical toys. Oh, Malcolm. Malcolm. Yeah. This would be a great double bill with Malcolm. Malcolm.
0: yeah i could see that malcolm's a great film
1: uh, have you seen malcolm Kerry? i have not
0: you're in for a treat
1: yeah it's about a guy who's kind of a, a a savant so to speak and he builds all these mechanical toys and these guys hire him to pull a heist and it's really good it's really oh, that's interesting cool but yeah this is a heist film but the funny thing is though is that they're not really out to make money in this film though you know well, like they're, they're not
3: so the crime they get away with is finishing the right. movement
0: I think that this film, it does have a lot of the tropes, uh, all the conventions, if you want to call it, of a heist film. The assembling of the gang. You got the cop with the private issues for whom the crime gets personal. Uh, It's a cat and mouse game between the cop and the gang leader, you know, which two sides of the same coin.
1: You got the famous line too, where, you know, where he comes in, no, she comes in and he's like, I can't work with this shit. You know, where they've been playing for three hours. Yep. And he comes <laughs> out. He's like, I can't, I can't work with this. These guys, I can't work with this. Yep. Like, how many times have you seen that? In a cry you know, for like-
0: absolutely. There's the chase where the the cop thinks he's found someone from the gang, chases him down a narrow alley before losing him. I also like to think because, like, over the last few years, I've been watching countless film clips on youtube it sort of became an obsession with me watching flash mob or flash mob film clips you know people starting out one instrument at a time walking into a shopping center or into a square playing Uh, like in one case this guy comes in with a snare drum starts playing and then gradually other instrumentalists come in and they're playing Ravel's bolero and, uh-huh. and people just adore that sort of thing. But in this film, you can't go uh, uh, shredding money in a bank. You can't go, hey, everyone, this is a gig.
3: was awesome. <laughs>
0: that's the funniest line this is a gig listen to us and no one gets hurt yeah but
3: as you said like all the there were some tropes in it like he had his superior who was an idiot one of the lines that I loved I wrote it down because I thought it was so great after the hospital thing gig the first gig (laughs) he's like turns to me he says we have to rid this city of musical scum (laughs) (laughs) I thought oh my god this is like a comic book you know
0: it's sort like the antithesis of you know those films where it's always the nerds or the artistic types who are the heroes and they're trying to pull one over the jocks but in this case it's the jocks who are trying to get revenge on the artistic types who are they're not really the bad guys but they're nominally seen as the bad guys by the wider society
1: one thing i thought that was kind of funny that strikes me is that they thought that these guys were out torturing people with their concerts and doing all this stuff I'm thinking in my mind while I was watching this film a lot, in reality right now, somewhere in Abu Ghraib, They've got some political prisoner where for the past five or six days, all they've been playing in a cell is you know, like little Spanish fly, Like you're
0: not having a go at Purcell, are you? They use music to torture people, man. It's a fact.
1: You know, and that's the irony is that when you see this film and these people are out doing their thing and these little movements, these moments, and everyone's
0: just like, oh, you don't look at
1: these torturous, evil artists. oh, you damn them.
3: They used it to get Noriega out of his hiding place in Panama.
0: Isn't that fascinating? Something that we take for pleasure, you know, we, when we have the choice. So you can choose to listen to jazz and you can choose to listen to country when you want. But mm-hmm. when you don't have a choice, it can be seen as a horrible instrument of torture. And that's what the city was rebelling against in this film. They said, this is a crime. But the percussionists are saying, well, we're rebelling against what you've imposed on us about what is musically acceptable. That's why they're kicked out of the conservatorium. Everyone's using this thing of beauty as, as a weapon. we haven't mentioned here i mean i think we just sort of skimmed a little bit about this so the the main cop amadeus wannabring he we've said you know he hates music and what he wants is silence so the twilight zone element which we have to have is anytime that one of these drummers plays something uses a device and when i say a device it could be a human being or it could be like a little pan that they use in the operating room if one of them has touched it he can't hear the noise that it makes. So when they're speaking with the patient in the hospital who's been slapped and bashed while under anesthesia. He's complaining to the police. I was assaulted. I was assaulted. But he can't hear what he's saying. And then he discovers gradually through every crime that he can't hear any device that they've gone and touched. So they have to use that as a storytelling device for the end of the film. And I don't want to go into it. I don't want to spoil it. But two things I will say is that I found that they were scraping for the end. I didn't think that the end quite worked from a crime film perspective because it's got to be working up to something that's really tense and I didn't find that really tense. And I also found that the logic that they used for uh, Amadeus's plan to get the silence that he craves, I don't think that the logic held. But really just forgetting that for a second, I just sort of found that the ending, it's supposed to be ratcheting up the tension and for me, I don't think it quite succeeded in that. I don't know, where do you two feel about that. Do you think that the ending worked?
3: I did because, I mean, I can see where it's sort of a denouement, you know, because the there's the big sort of climax thing and I can't, I don't want to like give it away, but um, a movement that they were doing, you know, their fourth movement and everything. And then you see the sort of epilogue, you know.
0: <laughs> oh, the, the epilogue was perfect. It was that was hilarious. I love the epilogue. Yeah. But, but the actual fourth movement, the logic behind it, and the tension. It,
1: it I liked it. No, like I liked it too. He he's able to get a partner, and that he finds where he belongs. You know, with the girl mm-hmm. in the end. And I found that you know, it just it, to me, it, it it just worked because for all of it, you know, he he was able to kind of. Not vindicated. It wasn't like a revenge, but it was just like he found his place.
3: Now I can stand to be in these places.
1: Because, you know, like and what what he does in that situation, I do myself where I'm in the scenarios where I, I can't listen to what I have to listen to or what's in front of me. And all of a sudden I'll just switch on a soundtrack in my head to something completely different and just be able to endure it. I mean why do why do people talk about getting songs in their ear like
0: like you know uh we allow music to be the thing that's the cl- or the performance of music to be the closest thing to us by listening to music in headphones. I mean, it, it's, it can be very personal or it can be something that's in a public space. But when we put music on our ears, it's that we dictate, we want this now. It's not because it's being imposed on us.
3: Yeah, but it's more than that. It's also that we're not going to impose it on someone else. Sort of my pursuit of happiness ends where yours begins, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Any final thoughts? This is the sort of film that we could probably talk about for hours, but, you know, we're trying to keep this... Manageable. So, any final thoughts from either of you?
3: I thought it was really well done. I mean, the drummers obviously were incredibly talented, and I really liked all the tunes. It was—I <laughs> I don't know—it was quite, you know, for being. I was thought I thought it was going to be cacophonous. That's what when they just the name of the film and the whole gorilla aspect of it, and then that they were just going to go. Eh! you know and it was going to be crazy fortunately they didn't because I would have had a hard time finishing the film <laughs> but um, but this was really good the music was kind of cool and the interesting sounds of the, the, the different found objects that they used it, it was really neat and the acting I thought was terrific I really liked Amadeus
0: yeah, he was I, I great. thought he
3: was excellent yeah, yeah. but I also thought Sasha was good too
0: Senna okay all the musicians in the film went by their real first name which is why I sort of compared this to the The Beatles film helped because they're basically playing a version of themselves. They were a real troupe, a real ensemble. And the fact that they could take this novel idea and actually create a really great narrative about it was hugely impressive to me.
1: I was going to say this is highly recommended for anybody who thinks this is preposterous as it sounds. Think back to when you were a little kid in the summertime, the first time you sat in front of a fan and actually talked into a fan and were blown away by the way that a fan would distort your voice. That's true. Think about think about the things, or or how you used to blow on PVC pipes, or blow over the tops of cardboard tubes, drug band. When you were a kid, yeah, when you were a yeah. kid, or a coke bottle.
3: Playing cards in the spokes of your bike.
1: Absolutely yeah. right. There was this kind of innocence in this film, and this kind of exploration of youth, of just vitality, and just of you know childhood experimentation that I think really stands out with this. You know, I mean, it's, as, as much as this is predictable, I mean, in, in terms of, you know, they, they plan out the score, you know, it's all staged the way they want it. It's still this kind of anarchic kids with a tape recorder, you know, or just this whole thing about, like I said, kids just having fun, making noise, living life, being alive. So I think this is really highly recommended to me.
0: That's a great point. The six drummers, what they're playing is not just important, but... It's bringing the fun and that's what music should always be about enjoying it. Not just it being important to listen to, it's got to be enjoyable and that's what these guys do. And just the final thought I wanted to sort of bring about is here, it's not just about the listening. This is a film for a very good reason. They made the scenes with the drummers doing their movements very visual. It's fun to watch as well as fun to listen to. For people out there who want to get the enjoyment of watching this, the film is available on YouTube, but if you have a VPN, you have to point it to the US. I couldn't otherwise have watched it here in Australia. I know it's on Prime in the US as well. Yeah, it's
3: on Amazon Prime, yeah.
0: Right, so those are the ways you can watch it. I want to give a shout out and a thank you to our longtime member of the crew. You, You can come in to see here anytime you like, but you can never leave Mr. Bernard Stickwell because he did recommend this film to me years ago, but he doesn't remember it. Last time I spoke to him, he said, I don't remember watching that film, never mind recommending it to you, but he definitely did.
1: I remember him
0: recommending it. Okay, good. Well, I don't know. Maybe he i don't know had a brain fart whatever but this film is superb even even with my reservations about the ending it's not a big deal but this film is highly recommended and also if you just want to get a a brief taste of what these people do there's that nine minute short film music for an apartment and six drummers i will share the link in the show notes so there you go that's our thoughts on the sound of noise So next month, we're going to give you two episodes, one that's Kerry and I are going to be involved in and another one where we're all back. The the one that Kerry and I are going to be involved in is going to be an interview. I'll talk about it in a sec. And the one that we all do will be another round table like this. It's Kerry's pick. So just briefly before we talk about the round table. So early on in the month, we're going to be speaking with a Melbourne filmmaker. I um, hope I'm pronouncing this right. Ben DeHurt. Uh, And he's gone and made a film. He's got a nine-to-five job, but he was passionate enough about the police. He's gone and made a documentary with the involvement of Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers, the two important members of the police. Uh, (laughs) The film is called All Noises by the Police. And because of all sorts of copyright issues and payment of royalties and that sort of stuff, he's only going to be allowed to show it, at least for the foreseeable future, on one weekend in June. That's going to be, I think, June. June 16th and June 17th, gonna be completely free on YouTube. So we're recording this interview like about 10 days before that weekend takes place. So you can listen to our conversation and then get all uh, excited to go watch that film up on YouTube. But even for if you discover that podcast, Five months down the track, I'm sure it'll be a great conversation about the police and the the members' involvement in this film, and hopefully um, he can come to some sort of financial deal where he can get a much longer-term release. But anyway, I've already had a quick yak to Ben. Didn't know him. He approached me. I've already had a quick chat to him. He sounds like an absolutely terrific fella, so looking forward to this conversation. So All Noises by the Police will be the first episode to see here that we put out in June of 2023. And our regular round table will be later on in the month. So, Carrie, what have you got picked for us?
3: Okay, well, this is an interesting one. It's from 1998. It's called Hillary and Jackie.
0: Ah, I have seen this one. Fantastic. It's so rare that we do classical film on this show.
3: It is classical, but it's also a really interesting story, and it's based on fact. Yep. I don't know how, they, you know, there's all kinds of he said, she said type stuff so we don't know. I, I think it's really interesting. It's got...
0: Rachel Griffiths? Yeah,
3: Rachel Griffiths and, and Emily Watson are the are Hillary and Jackie and their sisters.
0: I'm trying to remember who plays Daniel Barenboim, who uh, Jacqueline Dupre was uh, married to, but we'll know that. James
3: Frame. Ah,
0: okay. Alright. But yeah, I'm a long-time fan of the cello playing of Jacqueline Dupre. Yeah, looking forward to revisiting this one. Thanks for picking it. Alright, there you go. Hillary and Jackie uh, will be our round table for uh, late in june 2023 thanks so much for listening you want to get in contact with us see here podcast at gmail.com join the facebook group and start a music film related discussion facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here podcast and I think that pretty much covers it. So thanks very much to the two of you for really getting into this percussively fascinating discussion. I'm so relieved and wrapped that you both enjoyed this film. Until next month, look after each other, be nice to each other, bang on some pots and pans, find your inner percussionist, find your inner drummer, and uh, we'll see you next month. All the best. Cheers.
1: Cheers.
3: Bye-bye.